come back to bless you. Some may say curse you, but uh, I think everybody that got highlighted today got something good out of it. And uh, you can um, take out your Bibles or turn on your phones because that's what we're going to be talking about today is the intersection between the Word of God and technology. What does the Bible have to say about the way we use technology, namely the phone that's in your hand? Uh, We want to hit that this morning and think about it from a biblical point of view, Uh, particularly at the beginning of the year. Uh, We want to think biblically about this because I don't know if there's anything else that maybe brings us together and things we have in common, you know, from where we come from and what we're doing here and our major and our background and our common interests. I would say outside of, you know, being here and, and saying I'm here to follow Christ and I'm a college student, is there anything else that we may all have in common beyond that we all have a phone and we all use it for a number of things and it affects our lives almost moment by moment? I, I mean, it, it, when I tried to think of something to say, hey, when we're thinking about faith and technology, namely our phones, I would put this in the category. It affects almost everyone almost all the time. And there could be other topics we could talk about in chapel that affect some of us some of the time. But this one, I would say, affects all of us all of the time. Asterisk, maybe there's the one or two people here who are just completely no tech and are taking a stand against it. And you have the right to do that but for the rest of us. Uh, We want to think biblically about this. And so um, in light of what so far has been said as maybe the theme this year, Christ-likeness, Harry talked about that in the beginning chapel. Uh, That's kind of what we're zoning in on. And then Dr. MacArthur came last week and helped us by showing us from 2 Corinthians 3.18 that as we gaze on Christ's glory, when we are beholding him, we are becoming like him. And that was what he said in his own testimony was the vehicle for sanctification in his own life when he realized it wasn't all the doing and the striving and the trying necessarily, at some point it was, do I love Christ? And am I looking to Him and fixing my gaze on Him in Hebrews 12, 1-3 language? You know, fixing our eyes on Christ. Keeping our gaze upon Him that as we behold our Savior, we become like our Savior. Because the more we see Him, the more we love Him. And as First Peter would say, the more we're, we're longing to see him and we're filled with a joy inexpressible waiting for his return. And so that was where we left off last week to talk about, you know, if, if Christ-likeness is what we're after, we have to make sure we understand the fundamental reality that we need to have our gaze set on Christ. So thinking about faith and technology, thinking about phones in our faith, it occurred to me that if there's something that potentially could stand in between that, it would be something as simple as our phones. That if there's something, very practically speaking, that actually takes my eyes off of Jesus Christ so as not to behold him and to become more like him and to love him more, I would say it's my phone. I mean, there's a lot of other disruptions in my life that, you know, work, family, friendships. But if there's something that actually follows me around all the time with the potential to disrupt my affection, my gaze, my fixing on Christ, it would be my phone. And think about that for yourself. You may have your phone with you. You can, you know, you probably have it out already, but just just take it out and look at it for a moment. And, And turn it on and maybe scroll over and look at all the apps that you have. We're talking about thinking biblically on Wednesdays, so I want you to just think biblically about this for a moment. I don't know how often maybe you pull the car over, not literally, but pull the car over and think about your phone and say... You know, how is this affecting my love for Christ, my growth in Christ? And look at all the things that you have on there and then, and, and then start to categorize almost the, 
insanity of all the ways in which you can be disrupted. Start with the, uh, the text messaging. You know, in years prior, you had to have human beings following you around to interrupt you. And that was well and good. You would be walking maybe to class with somebody and you had some friends around you and the only people that could interrupt you for a conversation or you know, speak to you would be the people in your direct vicinity. Now with text messaging, however many people you have in your friend list could be in the thousands, constantly around you, all the time, in chapel. I, I was sit, from time to time I'll sit in the back and I was just sitting in the back on Monday as Dave preached and I was just watching and thinking about, you know, in years past, maybe when I was in college and I was in chapel at a Christian school, I mean, you had, you know, people that would talk in chapel to each other and that would distract. And, and that was like an easy one to maybe, maybe, you know, go to that person in love and say, hey, you know, that conversation you had, the entire chapel service was just a bit distracting. But now, as I look out, and you could be keeping conversation with any number of people even right now, it's not as distracting, but yet it still impacts you personally. It's impacting the person on the other side, and maybe it is distracting the people around you. But that's just one aspect of your phone that is with you all the time. A, a constant entourage of people that can interrupt your life, but when I'm talking about your affection for Christ and your followership of him, it can interrupt that as well. And then you go into the, the, all the apps that you have, the, uh, the temptation to be distracted because of all the things that you have personally decided to put on your phone to carry with you because you love them and they're good things. Probably most of them. I mean, for some, it, it just might be something as, as simple as you like to keep in touch with what people are doing, so through Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever it is. It's just constantly with you, but think of the opportunity for constant distraction because of that. Think of that in a real literal nature of, if, so you have the opportunity with texting, imagine all those people walking around beside you chattering all the time, and then think about Instagram, and it's like you're walking around and there's Polaroid pictures popping out of your pockets, and you're supposed to grab them and look at them and maybe write a heart on them and make a comment, and if you don't, maybe somebody will be upset with you, and that's constantly happening. And then say, with Twitter, you want to be kept up on the constant news, so for that to happen, people would actually have to be following you around with magazines, news racks, and pushing them behind you and saying, hey, make sure you check this out. And then on top of that, you have the internet and any type of specific thing that you want to learn about at any given moment that you might have had to go to the library before and check that book out, or go to Barnes & Noble and grab that book and buy it. Now it's just falling from the sky all around you. And it's with you everywhere you go now. So when you think about, back to the point of Christ's likeness in 2 Corinthians 3.18 and beholding Christ as becoming like Christ as we fall more in love with him, I don't know if there's anything else on a very practical level that distracts me more from Christ than my phone. Because it's with me everywhere and it, it's trained me to respond. I don't know how many times I, I've been disrupted reading or praying or something like that hearing the vibration of the phone across the room or it's in my pocket and I forgot about it or I left the ringer on. But I can tell you the number of times I've been in the middle of using my phone and Christ has disrupted that and said, hey, why don't you spend time with me? That's been zero. I couldn't think of a time that I've been in the midst of using my phone where, oh, oh, you know, the Lord Jesus just laid it on my heart to put this down and go do. But I can think of many a times the text has come in, the notification and though I'm in the midst of a really good reading time or a thought or a sermon or whatever it was, I'm, and I just feel the impulse to go over and answer it. That's just distraction. That's the reality of it. So that being said, something that I would say affects us all 
in a number of ways all the time, I do want to say two things at the outset. One, I think technology is a good God-given thing, going back to the garden. If you've read about the cultural mandate, theologians call it, it's that God, when he put Adam and Eve in the garden and endowed them to be created in the image of God to rule and replenish the earth, that was all pre-fall and everything that they would need to rule and reign over the earth and, and to innovate and to create just like their creator was inherent inside of the earth, the stewardship of it. All that they had to make progress was there and it was good before sin. The challenge is after the fall, all the ways in which sin can, can corrupt a very good thing. But going back to the cultural mandate that we're to take that which is around us and rule this earth and replenish it and keep it moving forward and redeem it is all there. And so when I look at my phone, I look at a good thing because I think technology is good and progress and innovation and creativity because they're all given to us by the creator made in his image and all that we need to make it is there around us, the earth and all that's therein. Second, I want to say this. I don't look around this room or this campus with a judgmental eye to say, I think you all are doing very bad at it. So I'm not coming from that angle either. One, I think technology is good. We need to use it for something great. And two, I don't see a bunch of tech-addicted millennial Gen Zs that just need to be told, get off your phones. Because I, over the last couple weeks, have been paying attention, walking around campus. I watch you walk to class or sit in chapel. And it's, it, it, you don't look like a zombie apocalypse on your phone. I mean, it's not that you're walking around you know, into trees and, and you know, whatever it might be, tripping over the sidewalk, unaware of other people, not saying hi. So I don't look at this as like a major problem here in the actual use of it, but I'm sure there are ways in which we could all desire to do better and not sleep on it and be naive to its dangers. So that's where I want to start today with those, I guess just on the front end, uh, admitting that I think it's a good thing. That's my starting point. And I, we want to use it for something great for God's glory. And I wouldn't say that, man, this is just poisoning the campus. But it has the potential which is where we're going to go in the Word of God today to see what we can do about it. And the way I want to kind of frame this up is I want us to get wisdom from the Word of God. I want us to extract it, but by way of a conversation with four faithful preachers of the Word of God in the Word of God. Imagine today if you had a chance to go to the calf and sit down with David or Solomon or Jesus or Paul and take your phone out and put it on the table and say, can you help me with this? Can I use this more to the glory of God? Can you give me some advice? And that's how I approach talking about this today. A very practical way, but I hope from what I've gleaned from going through the word of God and say, here's what I think some of these sages would say to us. Some of these wise men from the word of God. I think this is the advice they would have for us. So start by turning to Psalm 1. We'll start with David and we'll just move our way through the scriptures and have a conversation with David, Solomon, Jesus, and Paul and see what advice they might have for us when it comes to the use of our phones and how that's impacting our lives. We'll start at the beginning in Psalms. Pray with me as we uh, get into this that God would reveal many things, but maybe even it's just one thing today to help us go from here different. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the songs that we sang that reminded us. We have 10,000 times 10,000 reasons to sing praise to your name. And we will forevermore. And that's, that's in light of all the truths we know about our great salvation, that we will sing your praise because you've been good to us, you've redeemed us, you've forgiven us of sin. But yet also, Father, there are 10,000 things in this life that we can look around and say, 
thank you for. One of them would be technology. One of them would be the ways in which we could use our phones to your glory that both help us to fix our eyes more on Christ rather than less and help others as well. And we pray that this morning we would be able to do that. We'd be able to see that. We ask for your help in that. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let's start with David. If we were sitting there with the warrior poet, the king of Israel, and we were to say, hey, David, thanks for meeting with me today. I hope you like the food up here in the cafeteria. Leave that joke out there for you. But you can, uh, you can then just say, hey, can you give me some advice, David? You're, you know, you've wrote, wrote a lot in the Bible, and you've got a lot of good things to say. Maybe as you think about phones, what would you advise me? And here's, I think, the first thing he would tell us. Be aware of the path you're on. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He might say that's one way you can go, and your phone could lead you down that path. Or, your delight could be in the law of the Lord, and on that law you can meditate day and night, and be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in everything you do, you can prosper. I think he would be very basic up front. And say, you do know that that which you have in your hand, that phone of yours with all the things you can do with it, will lead you down one of two paths. As you use it now, so you will be then. And I think he would highlight those two paths in the framework of two voices. Look at Psalm 1. It's the voices you listen to. It's the voice of the wicked sinner scoffer, the voice of the world, if we want to call it that, or it's the voice of the Word of God, the law of the Lord found in the Bible, verse 2 and 3. And I think he would just level with you, very simply, straightforward, but in David's warrior poet fashion, he would would give you imagery and and, and he would open up and say, yeah, you know, that's what it's like. But beware that every time you access information on this phone, you start the path. Which path are you on? And think about, as we highlighted earlier, whether it's through social media or just scrolling, all the voices of the world, all the counsel you can receive, All the people you could stand in their way, the way you can sit in a seat of scoffers and be a student of the foolishness of the world just by scrolling and sitting there and letting that affect your thinking. And then on the other hand, I think David would say, but think about the Word of God and the reality that that's where you're going to find true wisdom. But don't be confused by the two paths. They don't intersect eventually. They just keep going off into different directions. And the further you go down the one, the more you can see in perspective how far you might be from the other one. So I think, first of all, he'd say, be aware of your path. And then secondly, I think he would say, and on that path, be most amazed by God. I think David in in Psalm 19 would turn our attention, you can flip over there, that the most amazing thing there is to to be moved by isn't found on a five-inch screen. It's found in the work and the Word of God. It's found in the work of God. Psalm 19, 1 through 6 talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God and the sky above proclaiming His handiwork. And constantly, continually, every day, the sun comes up, you look outside, you can behold the great works of God and say, thank you for it. I think David would want to fix our attention, not just on the path that we're on, to be looking up on that path and being saying, what are you being amazed by? Because there are two continual streams of things that are wanting your attention. One would be all that God has done in His work 
verses 1 to 6, and then in his word, verses 7 to 11, that the law of the Lord is perfect. It's sure. It makes wise those of us who are still simple. Its precepts are always right. They bring joy to the heart, verse 8. The commandments are pure. They give us enlightenment. And then we would contrast that with the works and the words of the world. And yes, that too is now a continual stream. It's constant. There's an infinite loop if you're on Facebook or a feed or Instagram. You'll never get to the bottom of it. You could just keep clicking on something else, which blows my mind. I mean, they're, they're designed so there's no end to it. And you could be continually fed by that stream of water that dries up very quickly. Or the work and the Word of God. And I think David, though, would frame this not in the heavy trip, but just simply to say, what are you amazed by? Because there are many things we pick this up and say, dude, you've got to see this. It's hilarious. Let me show you this. And I get that. And some of it is amazing things that you might find and capture and want to share. And that's well and good. But the general principle David, I think, would want to encourage us with is to be most amazed by God and be specifically amazed in 12 to 14 that on top, because you could say, well, hey, Adam, I could find something out there that amazes me, some picture, some video, and there is wisdom I could find here. But look at 12 through 14. There's one more thing that should be amazing to us about how God's word and his work affects us, and it's that the word works in us, 12 to 14 in a way that nothing in this world can work in us. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression, asking the Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. No matter how much artificial intelligence can figure out your tendencies and get you, and predict what you want to read next, and put something on your screen, and, and highlight something that might move you. I mean, in fact, there's, I was reading an article about scientists at MIT that for the last decade have been working on not just algorithms that by the things that you click on show you what you should look at next. They've now been working on a program that your phone, by detecting movements of your facial expressions, can predict the emotional state you're in, and decide for you, kind of like Siri when you talk to it, and it says, you know, hey, can you go order me a cheeseburger? Sure, I'll do that. There's technology now that they have uploaded into that millions of ways in which our faces make small movements that it would be able to detect by looking at you what mood you're in and then suggest, maybe you need to listen to this song and they would play it for you. Or maybe you need to go see this person and talk to them. And so far they said, and this was kind of the creepy part of the interview, if they're worried that you're going to go and binge eat in the fridge that night because you're feeling down, if you're refrigerator, which now is connected to technology, it can lock you out so you wouldn't do that. And I was like, that's where I draw the line. If, that, if they're going to say no ice cream, Adam, you had a bad day, I'm taking the bat to the phone. <laughs> I'm just that simple. I'm going to eat at 10 p.m. if I had a bad day. Thank you. <laughs> You're with me now. But I think that's what is amazing about this is in all the other ways in which this can kind of mimic that which we might see and behold and be wondered and be amazed by, what the Word of God does through the Spirit of God working in our lives is it knows us. It detects those hidden faults. It understands us from the soul level, something that 
an engineer in a room can never make an algorithm for. It's unique in that, and David would remind us of that. And lastly, I think David would remind us to be on that path, amazed by God, and third, be concerned about the eternal over the temporal. Go to Psalm 39. I think lastly, David would advise us that in it all, care that we're not consumed by the transient over the transcendent. Psalm 39, verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Down to verse 11. Surely mankind, all mankind, is a mere breath. I think he would remind us that the everlasting eminence of God is far more impressive than the passing pleasures of our phone. And if you look back at verse 5, God has given us a measuring tool with our hand to see just how passing our life is. That we could take our hand, because our days are a hand breadth, and we could put them against the backdrop of a beautiful sunset out in Malibu, And you could look at that horizon and see how it seems to go on forever. And then you could look from your pinky to your thumb and say, and this is all I get. And then you could take your phone, approximately the same size, and ask the question, is this really what I want to devote that passing hand breath to? Do I want to be so fixated on me or this and not put it down and say, if this is all I get, I hope I'm using it wisely. I hope I'm seeing the glory and wonder and being amazed by God because this is all too passing. And at the very least, to take this and turn it out and capture all the goodness and glory that God has used in his creation. Psalm 40, right next door, if you look over at that, verse 16 says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. That would be where I think David would end to say, that's loving the eternal over the temporal. The temporal is seeing my life rightly, the hand breath, the measuring tool, against those who love your salvation and forever will say, great is the Lord. I think that would be David's advice and summation. Set your path towards the transcendent greatness of God over the transient goodness of your phone. There's probably a lot more he could say. There's 70 other psalms that he's written, and maybe for your own interest and study, you can go through some of those and look for some principles to glean. But those would be the three that stood out to me if we were sitting with David. But then walking in the room would be his son Solomon. And wouldn't that be fun to have those two guys sit down with each other? Sometimes I forget the relationship between the two. That The man after God's own heart had a son who was the wisest ever, and he instilled wisdom in him. Look at Proverbs 4. Solomon, speaking of growing up in David's home, says, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he, speaking of David, taught me and said to me, Proverbs 4.4, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Verse 7. 
This was David's advice to his son Solomon. This is what set him on the trajectory that his life was on, that when he had the opportunity to pray to the Lord and ask Him for anything, he asked for wisdom. I wonder if it was because growing up, this advice from his own father resonated in his ears. Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. So now you've moved in a conversation from King David to King Solomon, and I enjoy the contrast between the two. Because David, the poet, you have the Psalms, and they move us in wonderful language, and then you get Solomon in the Proverbs. More practical, straight-shooting, unvarnished truth. And though as much as I love David's advice and the beauty and the, the glimmers of greatness and all that language, sometimes I need Solomon to just shoot it to me straight. If I was sitting with Solomon and said, Solomon, can you give me some advice on how to use this phone? He would come pretty straight at it. Don't be a fool. Don't be naive. Don't be a knucklehead. That would be my dad's translation. And I think these are a few things Solomon would add to his father's advice. And let me just put two big categories out there for you as we think about advice Solomon would give us for our phones. Two big categories would be sin and stupidity. All sin is stupidity, but not all stupidity is sin. And you see that in the Proverbs. And we'll see that in Solomon's advice to us. There are things that he would just call black and white. That's sinful to do with your phone. And then there are things he would say, you may be able to do them. They're stupid. They're not necessarily sinful, but they might lead you down a path that leads you to sin. So let's talk about the sinful things. And some of these you're well aware of and you probably think of, but from time to time it's good to face the blunt reality of Solomon's words. I think first and foremost, he would be warning us about the danger of sexual sin on our phones. Proverbs 6 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. That word, sense, understanding, lacks wisdom. Why? Well, because of the second part of that verse. When you do it, you destroy yourself. You will get wounds and dishonor, verse 33. Your disgrace will not be wiped away. I think he would be very straightforward to say, Proverbs 6, 27, can you carry all the dangers and temptations that this brings sexually close to your chest, it says in 6, 27, and not get burned? Can you play with the hot ember that you pulled out of the fire and thought it was kind of fun and not look down and see that you've singed your hand? I think that's where he would warn us that the pornographic use of phones, whether in image or today written form, leads us to our own demise. Proverbs 7.22 All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. I think he would just stare at us straight across the table, be very blunt and say, like a cattle being led to the slaughterhouse, like a deer naively prancing through the woods not knowing the hunters there, is someone who doesn't see the insane amount of temptation this offers to sexual sin. Far more than in any, the, the access to it, I should say, far more than any other generation. And, and yeah, you could, I can try to scare with a bunch of statistics of how ubiquitous pornography is, a, is as an industry, and all the people that, you know, the percentages of people in the church, people outside of the church. 
and those are all true, but I think, I think where, if you look at Proverbs 7, where it ends is, if this doesn't warn you and keep you away from it, nothing will. Her house, speaking of sexual immorality, sexual, illicit sexual relationships, her house is the way to Sheol. It's the highway to hell, so to speak. Going down to the chambers of death. I think that's what Solomon would be very concerned about with your phone. Sure, David told you, hey, you know, remember the, temp- remember the, you know, the, the transcendent over the transient and beware of the paths, and we like that. But Solomon would be very straightforward and say, this can lead you down a path that destroys your life, sexually speaking, and potentially people around you as well. And if that doesn't cause pause, then what else would? Statistics? Because we can always excuse ourselves as the exception to those statistics. Or, if we're not in that statistic, we can look down on others and maybe not reach a hand to help them. But he's very straightforward that the danger is there. So that would be one sin he would warn us of. I think he would also warn us back in chapter 6 of another sin in verse 16 to 19. The sin of slander. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Showing up a few times in there are words synonymous with slander, a lying tongue, devising wicked plans, a false witness breathing out lies, someone sowing discord among brothers, and I think Solomon's unvarnished guidance to us about our phone would be that if we're destroying someone else's character through slander, gossip, lies, over text, or on their wall, or some other means, it's an atrocity, an abomination, Proverbs 6 calls it, to the Lord. And it's a serious sin to sow that discord among the people of God and the phones we have or another vehicle we can do it with. Maybe sometimes forgetting that just because we can use some type of app or use something where our words disappear the damage doesn't remain. And that damage is both to ourselves personally in our walk with the Lord and to the other person we may have slandered. I think he would be very serious about the danger and temptation of that. And at the root of that, when I think about why slander and lying and gossip is so tempting, I think part of it in my own prideful life is that envy and jealousy of what someone else has, looking at their life and then judging them for it because they have what I want produces in me a desire to make them look bad at my benefit. Yet I'm warned in Proverbs 14, 30, that envy makes my bones rot. It comes back on me. Slander, gossip, lies. Yeah, there could be just the boomerang that that which I say about somebody else ends up coming back to me and people start seeing me as that and it ruins my testimony and that is bad in and of itself. But there is an inherent thing you're doing to yourself when envy and jealousy and coveting somebody else's life and then taking that to the level that you would want to slander them and put them down actually comes back to your own disadvantage because that makes your bones rot. It, It gets you from the inside. Bitterness is the poison that we put in someone else's drink and then devoured ourselves. We hold on to it. We hope it somehow gets them, but it really gets us in the end. I think Solomon would be serious about warning us about the sin of slander that phones bring access to. 
And last but not least, under the category of sin, Solomon would talk about, would be the sin of pride, of selfishness. Look at chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. What's at the top of that list? Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted perverted speech I hate. Solomon would warn us straight up, are we using our phones for our own prideful self-promotion? Are we in it to make ourselves, you know, look better in the eyes of others? Proverbs, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, but you could write it down. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow if you don't know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. It'd be very easy through the use of our phones, through a, I mean, a, a retweet of somebody's something said about us or just how we frame our life up and put it out there for other people to see where we are very much interested in our own self-promotion. And just as a quick test of that, you could just go on your own Instagram page and look back and see how often you're the center of your own attention. I mean, we get that. Somebody takes a group picture, who's the first person you look for in it? It's you, me. We care about ourselves. And the danger a phone would bring that Solomon would warn us of is when that leads us down the path of pride and arrogance and consumed by our own self-interest, it's something the Lord detests. It's not good, Proverbs 25, 27 says, to seek out our own glory. It's like eating too much honey. Why is eating too much honey bad? Makes you sick? So why is seeking out too much of my own glory bad? Some amazing, twisted way God has wired me, it makes me sick of myself. That, that which, the illusion, the mirage, that the more attention I give to Adam, the better I'll feel is the mirage. It'll never satisfy, and in fact, over time, I might grow sick of it myself. C.S. Lewis wrote about humility and and in talking about it, he said, you know, the first step towards humility is to realize that one is proud. That's good. And he said, when you meet a truly humble man, it, the thing that will mark them is they're not thinking about trying to be humble. The fact of the matter is they're not thinking about themselves at all. That's true humility. They're just interested in others over themselves. And I think Solomon would warn us that that is a danger we could have with all the others of us that we have to keep up with because they're out there. I mean, when I was in college, in my own selfish, prideful, self-promoting ways, I really only had me kind of to put out there, and thankfully, I wasn't really good at anything so that I really didn't get that much attention. But now with a Instagram profile or Twitter or Facebook, you could have multiples of yourself to be interested in and try to keep those things up. And the temptation is to, I mean, even as you're sitting here right now, you exist somewhere out there on some social media outlet that you might be slightly concerned about what somebody might be saying about you or what you're going to put up there next. And that can make us pretty self-centered, self-focused. Solomon would warn us of the vanity of that prideful self-interest. And then he would just tag on, I think, in the realm of stupid, not necessarily sinful, one last one. He said, you know, he would probably say, look, those sinful ones, flee. Don't mess with, beware of. But I think he would throw one more in back in Proverbs 6 and say, this, this is stupid. I'm not going to call you sinful in doing it. And it's there in 6.6. 6. 
and say, go to the ant, thou sluggard. The KJV comes through. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. And he would warn us of the stupidity of the slug life that a phone gives access to. That was just heavy, the sinful thing, that trip. So you can just take a deep breath right now and just think about the stupidity of being a sluggard, being a slothful person, being lazy, and their phone giving you the opportunity to do that. See, the principle he would want to pull out is this, that your phone maybe has the opportunity to distract you in a way that promotes laziness in you. Because it's just so easy to do nothing with our phones, yet feel like we're doing something with our phones. And you know, it's far better than just staring at the wall. So we stare at a screen, and we're occupied, but we're definitely not being productive. And he would say, go to the Anno Sluggard, verse 6, consider her ways and be wise. She doesn't need anybody to tell her what to do and prepares in the summer and gathers in the harvest, so that when the time comes, you have something to show for it. Proverbs 12 24, along those same lines, says, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. 1227, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, as in, he caught it, but he's just so lazy, he won't even roast it. I mean, it'd be to his own benefit to eat what he just caught, but he's just being lazy. But what is the opposite of that? The diligent man will get precious wealth. So where does that hit us? I think Solomon would say, look, is it sinful to be a sluggard or a sloth. I don't think he would go there, but I think he would say it's stupid and it could lead you down a path that gets you into some sinful things because procrastination can produce that. And you know where I'm going with this. I mean, the amount of time you might already be spending on your phone that you're getting behind in your work. I get everyone in here during finals week or midterms, there will be, as the proverb says, painful labor and pathetic living. That, that's the guy that won't eat the thing he just shot. Look, finals week, we can all say it's painful, and even some of the work I'm producing, it's pathetic. But leave that for finals week. I think his warning to us of not being stupid is, do you have to like curse yourself with that the entire semester? For the passing pleasures? Of, I mean, when is the last time you, you went on Instagram at 9 p.m.? for 15 seconds and only looked for 15 seconds. It turned into 50 minutes. What you thought was just going to be, I just need to give my mind a little break, turned into an hour. And now you're playing from behind. And I would just say that that is where it's, it's unsatisfying. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. I get late night cravings, as highlighted earlier. And I go and eat gummy bears. It's my guilty pleasure. There is nothing that tastes better and is less nourishing than a half a pound of gummy bears at 10 at night. They're good. The gold package, the Haribo. I mean, I love those things. Eat them by the handful. And I crave, and at the end of that, I get nothing out of it. And isn't that the late night use of your social media? You're craving to do something, anything other than work. And yet in that craving, what are you left with afterwards? Absolute zero. In fact, now you're playing from behind, so you're in the red. But, verse 27 says, the diligent man will get his precious wealth. So, I think he would just say, hey, wise up. Don't be stupid. In summary, for Solomon, 
I think, how would he commend a wise use of our phone? He would say, you may know how to use many things on your phone, and that may make you smart, but what you use them for is what makes you wise. Your generation, it's a reality, and it's not going away. And you can have a lot of smart things to do with your smartphone, but it doesn't make you wise with it. How you use it, and when you use it, and what you use it for is where the wisdom is. And I think those would be his parting words. So we've talked about, talked to David, we've talked to Solomon, and now talk to Jesus. And of course, that's now like it. So Solomon and David, they move out, and Jesus sits down across from you, and you say, Hey, can you can you walk with me, Jesus, and tell me how I can use my phone in a wise way? So go to Matthew. And I just I spent some time just walking through Matthew, looking and saying, What what stands out to me in a way that Jesus would commend a wise use of a phone? Well, first off, kind of obvious, Matthew 4, 19. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I think first and foremost, if Jesus had advice for you with your phone, it would be simply this. There are a lot of people you might be following, but are you, at the core of who you are, following me? And in following me, are you staying on my mission? Because there's a lot of other people you can follow and maybe get sucked into their mission. There's people that you can talk to via friendships, close relationships, and be interested in the same things, and that could deter your mission. Or there's people you can follow on Twitter or whatever and, follow and say, you know what, that cause looks really worthwhile. And it might be. But you could get so consumed in that that the simple call from Jesus to follow him, and we sometimes leave out, I'll make you fishers of men. What's his mission? It's the same mission in Matthew 28 at the end to make disciples of him. And I think his first challenge to us would just be lovingly, graciously asking us, is this still helping you to follow me in staying on the mission? What's the second thing you might say? You don't have to go too far. Chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I think second after that, he would just say, are you promoting me with whatever you're using this for? Do you have a desire in you to say, hey, I want God to look good by the way I use this, which requires some thoughtfulness. Probably more thoughtfulness than just you know, posting pictures of a coffee next to your Bible in the morning. You can do that. But I think at the core of it, it's saying how, how truly is my phone and technology helping me to let my light shine before others so that they see my good works and give glory to my Father who's in heaven? I think he'd be concerned with that. He'd say, yes, keep following me, but also, how is what you're using this for helping me to be promoted? Now, with that, I think there would be two subcategory warnings. One in 6-1 and another in 7-1. And this gets to the heart of the issue with Jesus. Because this could, I mean, you could say, man, yeah, I do want to give glory to the Father. I want to let my light shine so people know I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to use my phone and technology for his glory. But look at 6.1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Now, in context, we know he's giving them warnings, or the warnings are to come, about praying, giving, and fasting. Acts of righteousness that done with the wrong motive mean absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. And so it is with our phones. Because we could say, I want to use this for something good and God-glorifying and to bring fame to His name, but if it's about self-promotion in it, so people will think really well of me, that I'm super spiritual with my coffee mug at 6 a.m. and my life verse, 
and, and all the work I did next to that to show it off. Be careful with that, he would warn us. That we're not practicing our righteousness before other people to be seen by them. And the flip side of that coin in 7-1. Because you may feel like you don't struggle with that, but do you struggle with this? Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? He wants our heart, and I think he'd be willing to say that in the promotion of me, and you, you know, you're guarding your own heart against promoting yourself while promoting me, back to 6-1, practicing your righteousness to be seen, you may say, hey, I'm good, but you also might be really good at being critical of what other people put out there and maybe assuming things, and maybe judging motives. Because you may not be the person that puts up the picture of your Bible study at 6 a.m. next to your coffee, the mug that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, come on. But we may be good at sitting on the other side of the screen judging that person's motive. We may think, you know what, they're just doing that to make people think they're so spiritual. Or we may just judge on a very, I mean, that, there's maybe some levels to that, to that self-righteousness, to that criticism. But on a surface level, we may just be prone to look at other people's lives through their accounts and judge them and think, oh, they went and did that. That's sinful. Oh, they, went, they were with that person. That's stupid. And then there's opportunity for gossip and pride and slander and all that kind of unfolds. So in Jesus saying, hey, look, follow me, promote me, Remember not to promote yourself and practice your righteousness and also beware that even if you're not doing that, you could still get sucked into the temptation to be self-righteous and critical of others as well. And this would all lead up to 2237 to 39. His last admonishment about using our phones would be to love me. Which brings us back to the beginning. Matthew 2237. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I think at the end of it all, he would just say, look, at the, at the end of this, is this a vehicle for you having greater affection for me? If it is, wonderful. If it's not, query it. Investigate it. Inspect it. And say, if this isn't producing a greater love for Christ in my life, it's the means to the end. Many things you can do wonderful with this. Many apps you can have that, that promote a, a, a robust prayer life or a reading life or listening to sermons or even with like actual humans texting people, encouraging verses. Harry does that with some of the guys he disciples. It's not just phones. I know Lisa has a blog now that she keeps to encourage Master's University students. I mean, there's ways to use technology for God's glory to encourage other people as an expression of our love for him and a vehicle to promote growth in somebody else's life. And I would say that after him saying, follow me and promote me, the thing he would be most concerned about is Christ's likeness in us. Us gazing on him, beholding and becoming like him because we love him. He would want us to know that our heart matters most. But then you're like, wait, Adam, we talked about Solomon and David and Jesus. What about Paul? Unfortunately for Paul, it's like in the small group time when you've gone around the circle and you get to the last person, they're like, I agree with everything they said. So Paul comes along, and he's like, yep. And I think he'd particularly highlight, he really agrees with Jesus in the, hey, promote him, 
make disciples of him. Use your phones for the progress of the gospel in the world. 1 Corinthians 9, 22, when Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I mean, Paul is going to say, look, whatever, whatever I can do to leverage people hearing about Christ, verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I mean, I think that would be him. He would just say, yeah, what Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples, do it. And I think he would add this in 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Take care that this right of yours, as in, in this situation, the use of your phone, take care that this right of yours, there's nothing explicitly outlawed, you know, said in Scripture about phones. Now, there's principles we can adapt, but he would say, take care that though you have a right to use this, do not somehow let it become a stumbling block to the weak. I think that would be his parting words to us this morning. In all this, Yes, you have the Christian liberty, the right to use this for a number of reasons. Be aware how your use of it affects those around you. The principles of Christian liberty applying, love sets the limits of our liberty, Dr. MacArthur wrote. Before we exercise our Christian liberty in a given but not forbidden situation in Scripture, we should consider how it will affect others, especially other believers. I think that would be Paul's parting advice, adding on to everything else. How does this affect those around you? So we've talked to Solomon, David, Jesus, and Paul. My desire in bringing this up for you to think biblically about what is in your hand this morning comes out of a heart of love. We want to use this for God's glory. We want our campus to be affected in great ways to do great things for God with the use of technology. And hopefully at the beginning of the year, us thinking about it in that way will lead to the desired and technology is good. Let's use it for something great. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, the time in your word together. Pray that we go from here uh, thinking about this in the right way so that we can live the right way for your glory. We praise you and love you. It's in your name we pray.